Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is The Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required. Hey, do you want to learn how to play the D&Ds? We've had a few friends with that exact question, so we're going to tell you how we're answering it. We're also going to talk about some of our favorite people who are making new games and expanding some old ones. Then we're going to talk about board game apps and Pops and Bayou Games making another showing in our crowdfunding roundup. All that on this episode of The Dapper Meeple. Hey guys, don't adjust anything and don't be surprised. Yes, we're running a little late, but welcome to the summer of 2022. Shit's a little wild. <laughs> it's not quite a reflection of last year. Right. Uh, we we took, what, a two-month break, three-month break last year? While I was moving, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, not, not quite there, but you know how summer goes. Kids out of school, plans get made, and plans get broken. Yeah. Right, and uh, I know we're, we're a guy down at work. Um, and we're down because he volunteered to give part of his liver to somebody. So, I mean... You can only be so mad at him. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm at work having to cover an extra shift or something. like, God damn it, he's such a good guy! <laughs> but he is getting better. Uh, he's doing well. He'll be back in a couple weeks. Um, but just, you know, outstanding human being all out. Um, but things have been busy. Um, Jesus. Uh, it feels like we, ha- I feel like I haven't stopped for like the last three weeks and fitting in a good recording and editing has just not been in the cards. Yeah. Well, we're finally coming out of the hundred days of hell as it's so known at my <laughs> workplace. So hopefully that, that helps out. I think July 4th is uh, the official end. Nice. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's just been busy summer like it always is. So, um, but it's good to be able to sit down again and uh, talk about some things because there's been a lot of stuff. That has happened. Right. I mean, I know with us, we're going to talk a little bit of it today. Um, We've been running a learn to play D&D session. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have our own D&D session that we run or that I run right now every week. Um, There's another game that I play in. We've had some board game nights. I mean, there's been a lot going on for us. And man, it's just like getting into the summer has been a huge step. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the world of tabletop gaming, we got Origins just happened, what, a couple weeks ago? So right. that um, is always a big event of the year. Um, a lot of cool new games and stuff were announced there. A lot of stuff finally coming to print and things like that. You know, the world's actually spinning again kind right. of thing. So that's that's cool. Um, we got some cool news uh, just across the board. Um, some cool expansions for some of our favorite games that uh, have been announced. They're going to be coming to Kickstarter soon. Uh, we have a couple of Kickstarters that have arrived. We got some that have shipped, so they're on their way. So there's a lot of cool stuff that we'll go over um, and talk about today. So we started doing this. So we've been at this for, I don't know what, year and a half, two years now. And for the most part, we do this because we enjoy doing it. Like yeah. we're going to maybe at some point put some real effort into building an audience, but right now we got what we got. And I think we've done well with that. We've also gotten some kind of validation from this hobby for people that have 
reached out to us. Um, like the BA Games guys actually found our business card and came in and talked to us about their game, Cult of the Deep, which we're putting yeah. a party together to run that and play it and get a good review on it and actually really get deep into that one, which everything yeah. I've seen, it just looks amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, you can't lose when you go social deduction game with Cthulhu mythology in the background. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. that was really good. Um, we also got contacted this week by a smaller studio. And we're not going to say anything until we get everything done with them. Um, just to review one of their games, which is kind of common. Yeah. Um, it happens a lot. But I know a lot of people that play board games that have never had somebody go, hey, we're going to ship you a game. Will you play it and let us know what you think? Yeah. So, um, looking at you, Board Game Famous, uh, we don't know what's going on, but <laughs> how are you guys doing? Uh, we'll definitely reach out to these guys. Uh, another great board game podcast, if you're into it. I mean, they are they are more strictly board game, I think, than we are, yeah. where we tend to get out into the RPG and stuff. But, I mean, a couple of great guys over there uh, running that podcast. I listen pretty regularly. Um, but, yeah, we got contacted, and they're like, hey, will you do a review for us? And I'm like, us? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know? it's really cool because we, I mean, we professional would not be the first way that I would describe anything about our setup. Um, but we're just small time. We do this because we love the hobby. We want to put something back out there into the community and just to have the opportunity really is, is what it is. Right. I mean, cause it's not that we have a large, you know, listener base yet, you know, who knows? Um, but just to get somebody's thoughts on it, um, it is really cool. I'm, I'm glad they reached out to us. Um, yeah, I was super excited with the BA games guys. Like that's been a really cool kind of connection to make. Um, and we still occasionally will shoot messages back and forth to those guys as well. So, right. um, it's, I love the way that this hobby, uh, really like brings people together. Um, as well as, um, just the connections you can make, I mean, across the board. Right. Right. We've had a couple of guests come in that, I mean, are pretty, we talk to you pretty regular. Um, I know I get a chance to go up and see Preston at his store a lot. And, you know, Viva or uh, Tina, we talk to you back and forth. Um, it's just, it, it's just, it's getting into that community. It's such a, it's such a great feeling, you know, because you're, you're with like-minded people. You're with people that, uh, you, you're, the, you're with the good part of that community too. There's still some gatekeepy stuff going on out there in some places, but I think the board game community for the most part. At least the board game side of it, especially, they seem to be open to everybody. Yeah, I, I so think than, for I think for the most part, I mean, there you always have those those sides of every community that you have to, you know, kind of watch out for, right? <laughs> uh, but hopefully, it's becoming more of a trend to call out that kind of behavior, right? And see it corrected as opposed to just you know sweeping it under the rug. Yeah, you know those people that put like the imperial symbols on the back of their car. I'm like, "Wait a minute. Do you know who the bad guys were in that whole thing? Did you not did you not keep up?" First of all, the empire did nothing wrong. Second of all, uh <laughs> no. Peace <laughs> and order. Peace and order. <laughs> yeah, so um I I'm loving the kind of response we're getting into this community. Um and just the general, I mean, anyone we've had a chance to meet and talk to has always been like excellent to deal with. Yeah. So that's that's a, a 100% plus. If you are listening to this and you are considering doing something like this just because you love the hobby, like feel free jump in. Yeah. I mean it, it's if uh, I would say it I like the way we approach it because obviously we're not planning on this being our main career to make money doing podcasting or anything. We do it because we love it and that's what makes it good for us. There's been a, like I said a lot of people that we've know are out there doing stuff uh speaking of BA games they are delivering uh, Cult of the Deep right now. Yep. So 
if you backed it on the Kickstarter, you should be seeing it soon if you don't already have it. We got yep. our copy. Yep. Um, pretty excited to get that out on the table. And they've also announced that they've got their second game coming. Uh, yeah, they actually had it set up and they had a booth at Origins, which that's that's awesome. Um, they had, uh, of course, Cult of the Deep was their main kind of layout that they had there. Uh, but they had prototypes for their new game. Um, Forges of Ravenshire. So it's a completely different style of game from Cult of the Deep, whereas Cult of the Deep has social deduction, uh, that that dice mechanism, as well as role selection in it. Um, this one is a straight dice worker placement game that has a element of engine building in it, uh, which is really cool. It's you know a completely different style of game. I like how um, I, I think Sam actually said in one of the interviews they did was that they don't want to pigeonhole themselves yeah, yeah. Um, in being like a social deduction game company, which I think is a, a very good thing to be. Um, is to have all these different styles of games. Um, the initial reviews that are coming back out of it, out of Origin, are very good. Um, personally, I am a fan of dice placement games. Right. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what that one looks like. Um, of course, when we find out how they're doing it, whether Kickstarter or whatnot, we'll be sure to let you guys know because uh, it's definitely something we'll be looking to back. Right. And I love how their games, they are, um, even with Cult of the Deep, the games are more complex. It's not just a simple, you know, mechanic. There are several mechanics in play. Yeah. It looks like this next one's going to be the same way. And I love that it's completely different. You yeah. know, let's let's score well in both categories. You know, yeah, one hundred percent. And they talked about that when uh, Ed was here um, and we talked. Their whole goal was they didn't want to be just we're not going to make one kind of game. And I think that's what's really going to get them moving up the ladder yeah. real well. I, I really hope to see them do well just across the board. Right. Um, Cause they are, they are very good guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can tell they, they put a lot of passion into what they do um, just across the board. Mm-hmm. So that that's, I mean, like I said, that's really something that I would love to see them do well on. Right. So um, Moonrakers has a new expansion coming out. That's another group of guys that we've dealt a little bit with. Yep. Uh, we met them uh, up at PAX and then we finally got around to getting our copy of the game and just, uh, it's been such a great game to play. Like I love the mechanic, the deck building mechanic, and just how you have to play those cards and you have to learn that. You have to learn how you're going to play the cards because the order you play in matters. Um, so they're com- coming out with a new expansion, um, and they're talking about having some like foil cards, yeah, the holographics, which, which look really awesome. Yeah, uh, it, I think they're also doing the big box as well to kind of keep everything in. Yes, it, um, yeah. should be coming out with that Kickstarter campaign, which is launching in July. Yeah, so that's going to be coming up right around the corner. Um, other things we got fulfilled. Um, let's see. Well, Marvel Dice Throne got shipped. So it is on its way. It's coming. It's yeah. coming, baby. We've been waiting patiently. We've been bugging them. Yeah. So we we actually didn't get a chance. They had a couple copies of this at PAX. Right. Um, but right. we didn't get a chance to kind of sit down with the new heroes. Yeah, we got to look over um, some shoulders, but that was about it. Yeah, uh, which that booth is always packed anyway. So, uh, but yeah, so excited about that. That is hopefully going to be here in the next couple weeks. Um, I mean, hopefully sooner. Who knows what shipping, though? Yeah. Yeah, I've got a fun little card game that came in um, that I backed uh, about a year ago called uh, Bar Fight. Yep. You basically it, it is a um, it's a card game. I don't know if it'd really be a deck builder where you're like you're mixing drinks, but you're also trying to sabotage like other bartenders uh, in the process. So it looks like a lot of fun. We have that to break out still. Um, we'll probably do that on game night too. That'll be a quick intro. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of stuff here. We're still waiting for uh, Heroes of Arcadia. 
That's yep. one I'm really excited to sit down and play with a group. Hopefully that one comes soon. Right. That should be that should be in the works. And Marvel Dice Throne, and then of course Marvel Zombies is still out there. We won't. I don't think we're going to see anything for a while. Oh no, it's going to be July of next year or something ridiculous like that. At least, I mean, we'll probably have another like world-ending pandemic by then. So you know, fifty-fifty. Yeah, really. at least. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I. It doesn't matter. I'm still excited. I still go back every now and then and look at the post just to look at the sculpts. And <laughs> just stuff. To see, yeah, like cause, mm. because they're so gorgeous. And now another thing we've been messing with is we've started to dabble into three D printing a little bit um got a brand new fancy resin printer um and just seeing the amount of detail now i look at models completely different yeah because i'm like man i think i could print that right i can do that myself I <laughs> and, don't then, need you. and then i'm looking at it like man pulling the supports off of that would suck real bad <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah but it that's been fun uh we've actually printed a few things for our learn to play D game um, so a couple of different pieces there. Um, also just some, you know, random stuff you would do when you get a 3d printer. Cause you're like, can I do this? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, that's been, that's been fun. Um, but yeah, so a lot of stuff going on, at least with us, uh, it's been a busy start to a summer. Yeah. Yeah. This, this last two, this last two years has been a huge like renaissance in the gaming and board gaming industry. It feels like I think the pandemic, while it has messed up world economies, it has messed up the shipping it has messed up everything else. I think one thing that it has done is it feels like it says it has definitely ignited a passion for gaming in a lot of people that normally wouldn't be involved in it. Um, we were looking at some before we got started and we were actually looking at like board game apps that you can play on your phone, on your tablet, especially we know that mobile market just in general has been huge for years. You know, I mean like 10 years ago, everybody I knew had some version of like poker on their phone um, that they were playing. Then there's always, I mean, if you watch any YouTube, you're going to see 150 different advertisements for mobile games on your phone. And now they're converting all these other like actual video games that like from consoles and stuff into a mobile. I saw apex legends has a mobile version. I'm like, I don't even know how the hell I would play that. And I don't need to be throwing my phone. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, now that phone technology is getting to a point where, like, you're they're able to process these type of games. We're seeing a lot of really cool stuff come to it, um, and the board games are no different. Now, this is kind of the discussion that we wanted to have with this is um, there are a lot of purists out there. Um, this maybe maybe the darker side of the board game <laughs> community, but no, there are a lot of purists out there that don't want they don't put your apps in my board games. Yeah, you know, yeah. and they don't want to mix it. But um, we we've had that discussion of app integrated board games, which I you know our stance on it. I think they're excellent. They open up new possibilities for games. Yeah. Um, but what we're looking at today is specifically. Um, board games that have transferred to an app where right. you can do the whole thing on an app. You don't need the board or anything like that. Um, so I actually, because I'm more into the board game side of the hobby, um, this is something I have 10 games, <laughs> maybe maybe more, um, that I've just downloaded over time. Um, in fact, my wife, that is the primary way that she plays games, um, is through apps on her phone. Um, Ticket to Ride is uh, obviously a classic in the board game world. Uh, the app is excellent. Yeah, and, and every 
I was looking through a couple of like top 20, top 15 lists and from 2020 on and Ticket to Ride falls in the top three every time. Yeah, every time it it's one of those. Um, the app is just really well built. They've added a lot of the extra maps and stuff to it. Um, so there's a lot of game in that app. Um, and it's just it's just excellent. Uh, my wife, that's how she enjoys playing Ticket to Ride, because she can pull out the game, you know, finish a game in 15 minutes. Whereas if you play it on the table, it depends on how fast everyone else is. Um, so it could take could take a while to finish that. But it's it's a nice, quick, easy version, and that's what I think I like about the new implementation. Uh, we were talking Dice Tower actually, but uh, about ten days or so ago, they did a live stream of top ten list of board game apps. Sure. And in that list, they were talking a few that I'd never heard of, um, so that was cool ones that I'm going to go check out. But one of the things they kept going back to is a lot of these apps they would rather play the app than the the board game which i think is the place where apps need to come right that's where they're going to stand out one two and it's amazing that with all the other stuff that's gone out on mobile that it's taken this long for board games to catch on like i i think they because i mean ticket to ride just for instance has been out for years yeah it just the finally these developer companies they're throwing enough money at it to where they're getting good companies to actually build the apps. Got it, got it. So it look because when you open, if you've played a board game, if you open the the app, I, you're wanting to see the board game, right? So I guess you got to get all that right. So fair. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot to it. I mean, obviously we are. I don't know a lot about coding. I won't speak for both of us, but there's a. I would imagine there's a lot to it with both wanting to not only capture the image of the game, but also the feel of the game. Right. right. Cause that's, that's something that I think is very important for a lot of these. Cause it's, you don't want a straight up like tabletop simulator on a phone. Yeah. It's cause it's not going to work. Right. Um, any of you that have played tabletop simulator, board game arena, tabletopia, any of them, you know that there's a lot of like moving pieces and that sort of thing with a, with an app, you want it to be, you want it to be quick. You want it to be easy, relatively simple motions, right. like sort of things like that. So I think that can be difficult for a lot of games. But I mean, there are many. Uh, one of the things they mentioned on the Dice Hour is that there are many games that they will not touch the board game anymore, the physical version. It's just the, the app is just too the good. The app is just it. It fulfills that part of that board game for them. Um, then there are some that they talked about that they would um, they would still play the the actual board game if someone wanted to play it. But the app is just faster and easier. Um, it doesn't require setup. Uh, one of the big things is shuffling. <laughs> right. You don't have to worry about shuffling. But yeah, so uh, I want to talk about a couple of my favorite apps. Um, so we mentioned Ticket to Ride uh, because uh, obviously that is my wife's favorite. It's an excellent app. Um, one of the other ones, probably my personal favorite, is Spirit Island. I was going to say, I saw Spirit Island had an app. I figured it was going to be in here. Yeah. Uh, the app, so <laughs> there is a free version of Spirit Island that you can get. Um, it is limited in what you can do. Sure. Uh, they have both a way you can pay outright. I think it's like close to 20 bucks. So it's a little pricey, but it has a lot of game in it. Or you can do like a subscription based model with them, which is actually pretty cool. It's only a couple bucks a month. You pay it as long as you want it and it unlocks everything in the app. This game, if you if you are a fan of like challenging solo games, this 
this is excellent. Right. Um, right. If you like Spirit Island, it's the app implementation is wonderful. It has the first expansion in it, Branching Claw. They are working on the newer expansion into it. They don't have it yet. Obviously, it's a lot more stuff than what Branching Claw had. So it's going to be a little while before they have everything in there. But if you're uh, just starting with it anyway, you've got time. Yeah. As far as just straight into implementation of a game, this that does it excellently. Yeah. Uh, but again, Spirit Island is not one of those games for everyone, and we've talked about it before. It can be a challenging, like, kind of brain burner. Yeah. So if yep. you're not into that, which it's perfectly fine if you're not, um, then there are other ways to go. Uh, one of the other games that I really enjoy, I've actually never played the physical version, uh, but it's a game called Takedo. Okay, yeah. So this game is absolutely gorgeous just in general. Um, the whole premise of the game is you are kind of on like a a Zen journey. And as you move along this track, there are different things you do. Like you go see mountain scenery. You go to the pond. Like you do all these things that are like relaxing and that sort of thing. And the app captures that kind of feel fantastically. Like just everything from the art style to the music that plays in the background, the whole nine yards. It's 100% excellent, excellent app. Um, so these are ones that like really do it well. Um, I think though probably the one of the best ones that I've played is probably Raiders of the North Sea. I was going to say Raiders of the North Sea was in there and we've played it. I've played it with you on the table. Yeah. Um, so how is the app? The app is excellent. Um, so one of my favorite parts of it is when you're doing the raiding and you go to like actually like challenge or capture one of the locations, there's like little battle sounds and like you see like spears and stuff being thrown, like just random stuff like that. That is absolutely just those extra little touches that you expect from an app version versus like a tabletop. Right. Right. Um, as far as the worker placement aspect, everything is nice and clean. Um, it has a great tutorial. It looks great. Yeah. So uh, I think these games are really coming a long way. Now there are, there are some apps that don't quite like make it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, and I think that's going to happen as we kind of like move into this realm. Sure. Um, cause there are more and more companies now are looking to have that in addition to their, you know, regular tabletop version. Right. Um, so I th- I'm excited to see kind of these companies that come out on the app development side as kind of making their name yeah. for these. Yeah, and there's been a couple of, like, as I was looking through these lists, there are some big games that have this app. Like Wingspan was out there. Yep. And Catan, which, I mean, Catan at this point is <laughs> almost, it, it almost has a cult following. Like, it is just a classic, and there's so many versions of it. Yeah, the question is, when is Catan going to become Monopoly? Yeah. If it hasn't, if it hasn't yet, when (laughs) is is that point? Is it going to be that one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, there's just, and they all, everyone that I saw, they all look so good. Now, like we've talked about, I am not like as big into the board game side. I love sitting down at a table and playing a new game and my bookshelf of games is full. Um, I have to officially upgrade already. Um, But I do fall more into like the RPG side of things and, um, you know, getting into the Warhammer and the minis and stuff like that. But I mean the idea of just being able to sit down and pop a game on and play it that I enjoy. That is, I don't have to do the setup. I don't have to do the takedown, you know, don't have to clean up once I'm done, turn off the app and I go to something else. Like I I think that's appealing for a lot of people. 
Right. One of the games that they talked about that I'm excited to try is Charterstone. I saw which, that one. Charterstone is a Stonemaier game, so Scythe, Wingspan, yep. same publisher. But it is a legacy game. So as you play the game on the table, you have stickers and things like that that manipulate the board and change it for future versions. And by the end of the game, you end up with your own board that is completely different, much like Clank Legacy. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, But they have it implemented in an app now, and the app kind of reserves or preserves and changes that board for you as you go throughout the game. And then you just have to reset it when you want to play a new game. That's kind of cool. See, I like that. That's yeah. When they started talking about it immediately, my mind went, that makes sense. Like, because we expect like in a video game, you expect things like that to happen, right? Your progress gets saved and the effects you have had on the world, especially in like solo RPG type games. Yes. The effects you have had on the world stay and it's persistent as you go throughout. Um, so it makes perfect sense that this is able to capture that feeling for legacy games. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't know how there's a lot of them. I don't know how that would work. And, you know, I don't know that it's right for everyone. But this one was first of all, it was on all three of their top 10 lists, which that's pretty impressive. Um, as well as I think it was the highest rated. It was like number four. I think it was on Tom's list. So Tom Hassel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a very first of all, it's a very good call out for that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to check that out and see that. But I really like the way that things are going with this kind of app implementation. Right. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of like app only games. Like I, I like that they are porting in. There's still hard copies out there. Right. Know? Yeah. I like Because there too. is something to be said about gathering around the table for a game. So I, I don't I don't think that will ever overtake one or the other. Yeah. I think they can coexist really well. I think for me, people like me um, who kind of fall in the camp where I am, like I enjoy playing a game. <sighs> Learning a game is not as exciting to me. Like it's just taking that time. I know it has to happen for me to be effective and me to play the game. But I think apps are a great way. Like I get a chance to play the game and practice and get a little bit. So when I sit down at the table, I'm familiar with what I'm looking at. And that makes it a lot better experience for me. Yeah. So that may be helpful for those of you out there that are like, I don't know would I like board gaming apps. I don't know. You like board games? You want to practice? Come back in? Crush everybody? Yeah. Yeah, do that. <laughs> do that. Yeah. So check out um, there. You can obviously Google a list of any apps or of top board gaming apps. You'll find there's probably at least a top 20 list, a top 15 list. You know, take your pick. Or you can even search and see if your favorite board game has an app. Yeah. Because um, a lot of them do now. Um yeah, feel free to try it out. Rate some reviews on them. Watch somebody play it. You can do all that now um, and see what you think about it. Let us know what your favorite board game app is. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We should work on our own top 10 sometime. Top 10 things. It's coming. So we have decided to undertake a learn to play D&D session uh, for some people that were interested in learning how to play. Now, we've done stuff like this before with new people. And usually what happens is one of us will run the game and the other will play a character, kind of the ringer in the group. So and they're there to help out. So this time we did stuff a little bit different. Um, 
we came up with a game. We're kind of co-DMing it. So we're both at the table at the same time. And usually I'm kind of taking on like doing like the main stuff. Like I'm running a lot of things and I'm kind of building the story and building the scenery and stuff. But Josh is plugged in and knows what's going on. We usually both have our laptops up. So we're chatting back and forth, things like that. Um, one of us will take turns kind of running a combat encounter. Um, but I had a bunch of people who wanted to play. One of them had been bugging me for literally months. Like, when are we going to play? When are we going to play? When are we going to play? And I was like, when I have two minutes of free time. And we finally came around and set this up. Now, we do have a game room here. We built our own yep. D&D table with the TV inlaid so we can put project maps on there, which we've been perfecting that as this has been going <laughs> on. It's a work in progress. It is. It is, but it's getting good. Like, it's yeah. getting good. We can do Fog of War in there. Like, things are working out really well. And people seem to be responding well to it as well. They yeah. enjoyed it and um, just kind of have really been able to like jump on it and understand that like, Oh, this is a dungeon. I can't walk through the wall, stuff like that. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about it. Like, this is kind of our thing. Like there are, like we've talked about tons of people who are getting into this hobby, whether it be from, you know, watching stuff like critical role acquisitions incorporated dimension 20, you mm -hmm. know, the stuff that's going on over at critical role right now with, you know, Brendan Lee Mulligan DMing the Calamity, the critical the critical role campaign in the world that Matt Mercer has built has got to be some kind of a vortex of, like, geekdom <laughs> that, you know, the world just hasn't been ready for. Like, yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. Everything I've heard about it has been just amazing. I haven't got a chance to sit down and watch it yet. Um, but he's an amazing DM. Um, he's got amazing players, which really makes such a huge difference. When you have players that are interactive and they're playing the game and they're in there with you, like this cooperative storytelling thing takes people to tell the story. Yep. And so that was kind of the drive that we had putting this together. Um, so the people that are playing. So we have a couple people with RPG experience. Yeah. You know, they played in older editions or they played in different systems um, or they've made up their own systems in some cases. We have... Two who had never played before. Yeah. And then we had one who had like played on Roll20. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, a broad kind of experience spectrum here. Uh, but I think that's one thing we talked about this before. One thing we love about 5e is the approachableness of the system. Yeah. Uh, the hardest part, I think, in 5e is creating the character sheet and learning what it all is about. Yeah. yeah. And then after you get the basics in there then you can kind of just go with it because mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is, is fairly straightforward. Um, and that's actually one thing I've really liked um, about having like two DMs is we can kind of field things like separately. Right. Um, we work really well together. That's, that's one caveat I will put out there that if you are, don't just, you know, do this with some guy you've never met at your local game store. Cause it's probably not going to work really well. Right. We've been playing games together and doing things together long enough that we we kind of can almost anticipate the direction that each of us is going. Yeah. So that is one thing that I think has helped out a lot. But it's been really cool where you'll be, you know, working on a scene or something like that with one of the players and the other player might have a question about an ability or something, an item or something that they have, something they want to try and do it works really well for you to be able to stay focused with that person and then they can turn and they can ask me right. whatever that question is. It was real great because the way that we did it, so 
I mean, like I said, this is we. I kind of just call this the learn to play D and D game. Um, and the first thing that we did was we kind of did our session zero character creation in one get together. So everybody met at the house. We threw some food together, um, and then we sat down. And like Josh said, getting through the character sheet can be a little crunchy because there's mechanics and stuff that they have to learn. But honestly. And I think you do this really well, too. What I'm more concerned about when they sit down to build a character is I want them to have the pic- the picture of what that character is in their mind. Yeah. Right. I don't care so much about what those numbers mean right now. Yeah. I want you to tell me about your character. Yeah. Who they are. What do they do? What do they look like? How do they approach situations? Right. Because then as experienced or more experienced players and DMs, we can take that picture and we can say, all right, you want your character to be able to do this. So this is where we need to put those numbers. Right. Um, because to them, they are just numbers and words on a sheet yeah. that they may not even know what half of them mean, honestly. I was going to say. Because how many times do you use constitution in a daily sentence? But that's the kind of thing for us that once they get that picture in their mind of what they want that character to look like, what weapons do they want to use in combat? How do they want them to combat? That allows us to then go in and say, all right, I think this class and subclass kind of fits that image. Exactly. Um, and we can, you know, we can nudge it and massage it the way that we need to, um, to make things like work in the idea that they have. You know, I think we did really well this time where we're playing in Ravnica, which is a wonderful setting if you guys don't know what it is. Um, it comes from um, Magic the Gathering. It's a very much kind of a high magic steampunk kind of fantasy world um, that has 10 guilds that kind of rule this city. Um, and these guilds are widely varied. Yes. Um, and they, but what makes them cool is that they, you can almost, whatever you want your character to be, you can almost place them in any of the guilds. Right. Just yeah. depending on like, where their personality and their like drives lie. Yeah. So it made it really cool to like approach this with them in that. Tell us what you want your character to be. Not like I want to make a rogue or I want to make a fighter. That's no, no, no. What does your character do? Who are they? Yeah. And that can be daunting to people who have never done anything like this before. Uh, I think we were fortunate to kind of, ease them into that because that's a big question sure i mean and this group too like i think they all caught on to it really well like it was very much like oh okay well i want my care like one came in and like i'm definitely gonna be a druid i love plants and we were like cool and we kind of like played with it back and forth and talked about different subclasses and whatnot and she ended up settling on a circle of stars druid which is less planty animally more constellation starry yeah. Um, but it's a powerful, powerful class, and she and she's a first time player, um, and she's been able to really get a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah, and what was really cool is we were able to kind of move her into one of the guilds that is more about like the communing of nature and community and things like that. I mean, one of the things about their guild is this giant kind of sentient tree. It's ran by a trio of, I guess, nymphs maybe dryads dryads yeah there we go um so i mean there's there's a lot of elements in there that kind of come in on the back end of that Um, and one thing that i love every time i do character creation because i forget after i create a character is how many subclasses are similar enough to where 
you can bounce in between them and it'll be completely different classes. Yeah. Um, like just taking that character idea and trying to see where it fits. And they're like, you may end up with uh, like stuff like the bards, which are wonderful. There are so many different flavors of bard. You right. can make whole parties of bards <laughs> and they should be a band and you should do it. But stuff like that, where there's so much and even rogues now, like you're not just a sneaky, stabby, angry at the world all the time. Um, there are a lot of very different types of rogues now. Um, so that was, I always love to see that and to try and make that fit work. Um, I, we have, we have a pretty interesting assortment, uh, of player characters at this point. Uh, so we have a Druid, um, we have a Minotaur Barbarian, right? Which was awesome because she didn't know what she was going to play when she came to the table. Um, and somebody else kind of stepped up and was like, well, I'm going to play this class. And she was like, well, I don't want to overstep or anything. So I was like, well, this is easy to play. And she started out Barbarian and then it changed a couple times. And I was like, now we are in Ravnica. And let me just show you a couple of options for races that are out there. Yeah. We haven't had a Minotaur at the table ever. Yeah. And I keep pushing for like, like, go, you, you know, go War Priest Minotaur. Like, but she did go Barbarian, um, did go Minotaur and has had a blast with it so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then what else do we have? We have a halfling rogue. Yep. Uh, the changeling wild magic sorcerer, which if you know the person that's playing, it fits so well. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Which, I mean, again, I, I think having a character with flair like that is 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 good. It, <clears throat> it allows you to create a situation at the table where it's not like expected. Yes, yes. I mean, wild magic sorcerers are, are fun anyway, because when you make them roll on the wild magic table, who knows what will happen? But I, I think it's a very, it's very cool to have that one or two characters that are like unexpected. Yeah. Is the way that I would put it. A little eccentric. Yeah. And then we now have a Gloomstalker, um, a Warforged Gloomstalker Ranger, which uh, the Gloomstalker is just such an amazing Ranger subclass. Like, people that talk shit about rangers just haven't seen one of these things in action, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's great. So that's the party that we have. And we started them at level three. And the reasoning behind that is because every class gets a chance to pick its subclass at level three. Yep. Some of them, Yeah. Or before. Some of them start out with a subclass. Some of them pick it at level two. But all of them have a subclass developed by level three. And that's where stuff starts to get fun, right? That's when you become that individual character. Yep. You know, you're not just a fighter anymore. Now you're... You know, a battle master, uh, eldritch knight, or whatever. Right, you, you start getting the yep. flavor in there. So we started them at level three. That and level surviving level one can be <laughs> it can be a toss up. It really can. Yeah, because uh, that's what's crazy is even as a DM, and it, this was one of the biggest complaints that came up with the um, the starter set, the starter box set that came out, the Fandolin or Lost Minds of Fandelver. Yeah. Yep. Because one of the first encounters your level one party runs into is, oh. a, is a bunch of goblins that are shooting short bows out of the like brush at them. Yeah, it's deadly. Yeah, it's like what what <laughs> lucky roll and that character's dead. <laughs> D-E-D, did. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you get trampled so hard. So a third level, you've built up a little bit. You got some hit points to, to you know, to spare. But yeah, like, it's harder, it's immediately harder to kill them. Yeah. Which is not what we want anyway. Like, this is storytelling. I want a good story. I want some combat. I want you to be a little scared that, you know, there are bigger things in the world than you, and I need you to realize that. Yeah. 
Um, and one thing, uh, another thing that we did that seemed to work really well was after we built characters, we immediately had like a short combat scenario. Right. Had them. nothing to do with the actual game that we were going to run. We just threw some minis down on the table, pulled up a map. So like, this is how we're going to do it. So everybody can kind of see a map. Cause if you've never played before, like, we do like to use minis. Some people like theater of the mind and stuff, but definitely for combat, I like to have minis on the table. Yeah. Which shout out to uh, Epic Encounters. Yes. Um, they are. Check your local game store for these things. They are awesome. They are box sets that come with two. Each box has two full encounters um, and all the minis to support them. Yep. Stat blocks across the board for every mini in the box and even like a miniature story that you can take this encounter and drop it into whatever game you yeah. are playing. Now, they're not a sponsor. Just so you know. They just make an epic, like a very, very cool product. But if y'all hear this, we just saying, yeah, we got you. Yeah, um, we picked up actually a couple new boxes. We had um, we had a, the Cobalt one. We picked up the Goblin one and the serpent the Serpent People one. Um, which the way they do this is really there is a base box that has a lot of small miniatures in it, um, and kind of is a build up to it. And yeah. then there is a box that has a giant miniature in it. Um, like the cobalt one is a giant red dragon that it sets the encounter for. Um, the goblins is a hydra that sets the encounter for. So awesome box sets. I think they're like fifty bucks retail, but worth it. You get fifteen minis in the the regular boxes. So yeah, I, I'm not super big on the giant miniatures. That's so weird to say, but the giant miniatures because they I don't use them a lot. I mean, those are kind of like one-off encounters, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but just having these different miniatures to throw in random places. I mean, we've already used miniatures out of each box just in the two sessions or three that sessions we we've done. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, enough for that plug. Um, I, I really liked how it gave them an opportunity to kind of get a feel for combat. Yeah. They get that's the one mechanics. Of the, yeah. One of the toughest things in 5e is mechanics and figuring out, all right, what exactly can I do? when it's my turn what does combat look like what does this spell mean when it gives me all these things right so So like i tell people all the time when you're reading something like a magical effect or a spell words mean things right like if it tells you that this spell affects one creature well then it has to be a creature like well i'm gonna turn a corpse invisible you can't because the corpse is an object yeah you know stuff like it's little stuff that we know as players and dms and people that like really into the hobby and into the game so um, that gave them a chance to work through their mechanics. And a lot, there was a lot of questions from like new people like, what can I do? And usually um, what I did too, I found a sheet that was really good. It was like, on your turn in D&D, here's what you can do. You can move up to your base movement. Then it's like another block. And it's like you have one action. And that can include, and it gives you, you know, attacks, spells, investigate, you know, whatever. And then one bonus action. So it was really good to kind of break down so they understood the action economy as well. So all of them had that. Um, by the end of the encounter, they were all firing pretty quickly. Um, and it was going really, really well. Um, that was a great start before we actually jumped into the campaign. Right. Um, and what we, the plan for this whole thing is like four or five sessions. Yep. Um, of kind of a, we didn't want it to be a one shot. We wanted to have a little more story than that. Um, because I think one shots, you almost lose the role playing aspect. Absolutely. Especially unless, with a new group. Yeah. Unless you were playing with very seasoned players who can, click that switch on and jump right in. Right. Um, it, it takes a few sessions for people kind of to get comfortable 
and to figure out exactly where like where they can explore. Because I, I think that's a lot of, of RPing that we've talked about. If people who have never done it before, kind of, they don't realize how big the world can be. Right. I, I think right. Is, is the way to put it. Because they, you put options in front of them, obviously, and it's almost as if they look at that and say, all right, these are my only options. Right. Um, right. But as a DM, it is, it is your job to kind of create this world that they feel like they can interact with the parts of it. You know, now as a DM, you may not have prepared them to interact <laughs> with the parts of it, but that's that's part of the improv I think that comes with being a DM. And the the more you do it, the better you get at that, and you are able to you're able to pop out Boblin the Goblin, who is this random research assistant that becomes a tactical specialist by the end of the campaign, like. Those are and those are the memorable characters that happen, mm-hmm. you know, when you're able to do that. Right. And I think for new players to for them, as soon as they discover something like that, like they go to, you know, they go to the place that you did not like really bring up. Right. You know, you're describing a cityscape and you go, well, there's a tavern over there. There's a shop over there, whatever. Like, Oh, I want to go to that tavern. What's the name of it? Well, shit, that tavern is named, you know, and <laughs> that's Soblin's Tavern. Now. Yeah. And 100 percent. That's how I mean, as a, as a DM, that's how you get better by just being put in those situations. But as a player, when you're able to give them like that experience of where they can they can interact in this world and it feels real. That's what draws people back. Yeah. Like that's 100 percent. So. I think our goals for this type of session was not only for them to be able to obviously learn how to play D and D, but to really show them what this game can do. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's a lot of, a lot of it. I mean, we've seen the popularity of this thing skyrocket in the past, you know, five, 10 years. And now it's about really showing people that, Hey, you can do this too. Right. You don't have to be a professional anything to sit down at the table and have a good time with this. Absolutely. Um, a lot of what we've done to to like having two DMs on it kind of does lighten the load. That is yes. nice. Um, so we're both able to like bounce ideas and get stuff ready. And like I said, we usually have our both of us have our laptops up and we're at either end of the table. So if one of us has an idea, we can pop it in there. Um, we've done. It's been really great when we put them in a situation where there was like con- conflicting npcs yes um uh, that was a fun it was a fun scene that we got to do um one of their first missions was to deal with a legal matter air quotes um between a member of the azoria senate which is kind of the law of ravnica and a member of the rakdos uh the clan of rakdos which are the circus performers who are okay killing people um because the show must go on and uh, it was really cool to be able to get that interaction because it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to do as a DM when you're having to talk to yourself, essentially. Yep. Um, so that part worked out really, really well. Um, the other part that was been uh, just really good with it is, uh, like I said, if somebody has a question or something, especially like when we are in combat and I'm dealing or whoever's running the combat encounters dealing with the individuals on their turn, mm-hmm. whoever's second can be walking around and be like, hey, on my next turn, I would like to do this. Will this work? Yeah, it's been really good for that. Um, We also, as far as the story goes, we did a lot of recycling in this one. 
Yeah, we have so far, um, which is for, I mean, that kind of happens when you had a, what, year and some change long campaign in this city. Right. Like we're able, there's a lot of stuff we've been able to pull back, which, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, (laughs) 80% of DMing is recycling fantasy material. Sure. Yeah. Like 100%. And it... You don't gotta like you don't gotta rip off Tolkien completely, but uh, I mean it's a lot of the ideas and things like that that come up are from like things that we've read or things that we've seen, things we games we've played in, you know, stuff that happens from that. One hundred percent, like, and I think that's kind of part of it, right? Because as you're playing with a group, they may not know. Uh, obviously, they don't get many of the subtle references, right? Right. Um, that only people who are playing in the original campaign would. But you can still recycle these characters because these characters, I mean, as again, that's kind of part of making this living, breathing world. Like you already have these characters pretty much pre-built. Yeah. Like they have their personalities, they have their quirks, they have their whatever, um, and they're already there. Right. And we we do a segment on here when we have a guest on, especially called Know Your Character, where yeah. they bring us a previous rpg character and we talk about them and we kind of get to know that character and then we talk about where they would fit as an npc and that's exactly what i did with characters that we had used in the Mm -hmm. campaign Uh, my own character who was a goblin artificer um, became the one responsible for kind of arming the party um, and getting them outfitted and things like that and it was great to be able to for for a DM getting to reuse one of your own characters, it is great to be able to pull that back out. And especially when you're done with the, that scene, everybody's like, I love that character. Yeah. You know, it is so good. Um, so there was a lot of that going on just to make it easy on us. Um, but so far, we've built a really good story. Uh, they are, uh, everybody seems to be engaged and involved. We also kind of overpowered them a little bit. And I think with new players, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, in a session. Like, the, when I'm running a campaign, I'm careful to balance what I'm giving out. Yeah. Right? With these new players, you know, what's the fun part of D&D, right? It's when you oh, when you achieve. Like, when there's that, there's that hint of doubt that things may not go well. And then you're able to pull it off. And then you get to level. And then you get magic items. And, you know, stuff like that. We were able to already do that. Um, just to kind of prepare them and just to kind of, like I said, this is a learn to play session. This is the fun parts. And we wanted to jump to those. So that was kind of our thinking behind it. Yeah. And I, I think it works really well for this type of format where we're like four or five sessions and then we're, we're out yep. kind of thing. Like it gives them the opportunity to play with some of these more powerful things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we went through, we were looking at magic items and a lot of times when you're at a longer campaign, the DM may just throw a magic item at the party that really doesn't have a usefulness for a certain person. Hopefully not, but it happens. Um, in, in this campaign, we went through character by character and be like, all right, what can we give this person that is not only cool, but is relevant to their character? Right. Um, and I think that helps as well for new players because they get to experience that heroic moment. Right. Yeah. It, it, that will feed into their win later on. Like not only is it a magic item, but it is a magic item that you specifically are going to be able to do something with. Right. Right. Like our barbarian got a ring of Ram, yeah. <laughs> which I'm <laughs> give it, give them a range option then they could charge. It'll be awesome. Um, Stuff like that. Our, the ranger was given a bow that's just ridiculously like well written and powerful for their level. Yeah. Um, so yeah, stuff like that. That you know, it already is working with what they've got. 
Yeah, one thing that I am excited to see is we can already see play styles developing. Yeah. Um, like, uh, for instance, uh, our halfling rogue tries to avoid the main conflict. Not like runs away, but tries to find like alternate solutions like completely outside the box. Right. Which I think is really cool because it allows us then to plan those scenarios a little differently. Because a lot of times, at least personally as a DM, as I make a combat scenario, I have few contingencies of how this might go outside of a straight fight. Right. But I mean, 90% of the time you're expecting a straight fight. Sure. Every now and then they may throw something like some crazy idea in there that just kind of like throws a little wrench in just in general. But I mean, that's okay. Those you can work around, but I mean, we're talking this, this is the kind of player that you can put these outlandish scenarios in and he'll probably find it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's really cool. That's an exciting player to have. Um, and I think one thing that we are wanting to do with this is to play to that. Right. Yeah. I want to see. Yeah. Yeah. And because that is, that's what's going to make him love this game is when he is able to, I don't know, convince another monster in the dungeon to help them defeat yeah. whatever <laughs> it is like, or some something along those lines that allows him to step outside of what is expected and then it works. Yeah. Um, so it's things like that that I think are really cool. Uh, so far, I'm I'm really enjoying um, not only just the new players, kind of the story, but the codeing aspect has been excellent. Um, like you said, it, it's it takes a lot of pressure when you are one person sitting behind the screen fielding five different people's questions and trying to run the story. And I mean, obviously people do it all the time because you know, DMing. Right. But I got to say, this is nice. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, there, there hasn't been a whole lot of stress for either one of us on this. And we've put together like, a, I think we put together a pretty good story. The last session that we ran, which was their second session, um, we did kind of a traditional dungeon crawl ish. Um, but we were able to really flavor that dungeon. Yeah. Between the two of us coming up with stuff like they have a guide. Technically, he's less than reliable, but he's hilarious. Yeah. Um, he doesn't exactly know where all the traps are, but he's really positive about getting to be the guide. Um, and it's a floating like flame skull, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, which was another recycle from a previous campaign. Yeah. So, I, and that's what uh, I think. Just having somebody to bounce ideas off of is great. Um, having somebody to help kind of field the players as well is excellent. Mm -hmm. um, just just across the board, I, if you, like I said, we were kind of hesitant about doing this because neither one of us have ever really done this kind of thing. We both DM individually. Yeah. Um, but like I said, we work really well together. So that is kind of a thing to keep in mind. But I mean, it's definitely something if you have somebody who is a close friend or whatever who is into this hobby that you guys are or have kind of common thoughts about things and are able to work well together. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. I, right. I Give it say. a shot. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, you know, if you're looking for something like this, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to have people around you that will play a, like a learn to play type game, that's, I think that's great. Um, the goal I think ultimately is once we get done, if they decide to go play a game somewhere else, if they decide to go to adventure league, they can walk in and play with no right. problem. 
Um, if you've got people like that, or if you're looking at running a game, I would totally encourage it. Like bring more people in. I, I'm a D and D pusher anyway. Like people find out at work and they're like, Hey, I hear you learn. I hear, you know, the D and D like, yes, we'll, we'll figure something out. Come on. Um, so that's great. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of options out there. We were actually looking before we sat down and talked about this too. Like the hire a DM thing is becoming a thing, a thing. Yeah. Like D and D has invaded the gig economy, right? And there are there are options out there where a lot of them will like run a session for like, you know, anywhere from three to twenty five dollars a person per session. Um, there's like public sessions you can get into like that. If you want a private session with your group, um, you can actually hire a professional like they're professional storytellers um, to come in and do it. Um, like I, I, at first, I was a little uncertain about that, but I mean, like. What we do is not easy as a DM. If you've ever ran a game and you've ran a good game, it is not. Like, there's a lot of... The, there's a lot of prep that goes into it. Yeah. Not not only just the running of the game part. I mean, because there are... You're talking three to four hour sessions that by the end of it... Like, if you're... <laughs> if you're not mentally exhausted, you're, like, you're fortunate. Yeah, <laughs> like, right? <laughs> because normally you have so many things going on. Like I said, that's one thing I've really enjoyed. It's been a lot less taxing. Yes. Um, But yeah, a lot of work goes into DMing. That's why if you have a DM, you should always make sure and thank them, bring them extra pizza and things like that. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, um, because there there is a lot that goes into it. You know, as a player, you can put down your character sheet at the end of the day or the game and then leave it there until next week and pick it back up and usually jump right back in. Yeah. As a DM, if you try to do that, Unless you are an exceptional, exceptional improv artist, it's probably not going to be a great session. Right. And even then, even if you do pull it off, you feel, uh, I think you really feel drained because you really have to be quick at that point. Um, And there are times where you'll need, you'll need a mini to be ready or you'll need something uh, handy that you don't have or you have to go looking for it. Um, So that prep time is just, you know, but you mean... For our weekly game, I probably throw about four or five hours of prep time a week in. And then every couple of weeks, I'll do like a long, like good, like 10 hours of prep in the week. So um, this learn to play game has been a lot easier yeah, for it. But definitely, if you have a good DM, make sure they know it. And like now I said, people are making money off of this. Like there are people that are running like 40 games a week. Yeah. And, you know, you figure $15 a person, average five people per game, like... It's not bad. Like it's better than Uber. Yeah, no one one hundred percent. I mean, if if that's something that um, you can do, or it, maybe it's something you're looking for. That's one thing about a paid DM service is normally you can expect it to be like a good quality. Right. They have to maintain a standard. Yeah. They've got to come in there and know what they're doing. And on top of it, people that are going to throw some money behind this, um, they're there to play and. You're going to get a lot of like, you're not going to have to worry about people on their phone during the session. You're not going to have to worry about people not paying attention or people yeah. that just want to come in and see the world burn. So like, I'm going to try to mess up all the DMs plans because those yeah. people are out there. And if if that's you, you're probably an a-hole. Um, <laughs> sorry, I said what I said. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, at first I was a little, I was like, eh, I don't know if this pay for a DM thing is going to. 
but they actually there's a service out in San Francisco that I was reading about that just started, and that's what they're doing. I mean, it really is like Uber for DMs. Yeah, you know, you get on, you find a DM, you sit down and play with them, and they're using the same tools that we most of us use, Roll Twenty and Discord and whatnot. So. There's some options. If you want to learn to play, if you want to run a game, uh, that's just kind of our insight from what we found so far. I think we've got three or four more sessions with these guys before we turn them loose into the uh, RPG world. And um, I'm just looking forward to seeing that the rest of it goes as well as the first part. Yeah, absolutely. And now, our crowdfunding roundup. So we got three projects today. We actually pulled everything from Kickstarter uh, for this time around. But the first one we're going to talk about is kind of a uh, kind of a return for us. This is the second game put out by the company Pops and Beju Games. Uh, the first one they did was Cultivate. Cultivate, which we've talked about several times. We've played it. It is like such a great little party game to sit around and play. It's like a tableau builder. Um, and who doesn't want to build your own cult? Well, they're moving on in the world, and now we're moving into the realm of, um, you know, your uh, news reporters. The got to get the story, you know, they've been, reporters have been famous for, you know, in comics and in, you know, it's always a news reporter that's poking around and finding stuff. So uh, they've actually got the game that came on, and it just went live yesterday, and it's called Channel One. Yeah, we talked about this game a couple weeks ago, actually, when they first announced that they were going to be bringing their next game to Kickstarter. So it is now here. Um, you can go and back it. It is live. Uh, we did talk about it in the last episode, kind of what the game is. We have more information now, so um, kind of cool to see. I do like that it is a has a semi-cooperative element to it. When yeah. they first announced it, it kind of seemed more head-to-head. Uh, but as uh, you are multiple reporters working for the same news station, so there is a lot of like uh, helping each other out to get the best story, but you still are competing to be the best reporter. So if you go to the Kickstarter, they got a great video that shows you how to pay uh, play. This is not going well today. If you go over to Kickstarter, they got a great video that shows you how to play along with the campaign itself. It kind of steps you through uh, the, the just the play process. Um, basically you, you're looking for stories, you're looking for scoops, you're looking for sources and all of that is going to help you earn more points at the end of it. Um, they said it's a real big deal. Make sure that no story slips through the cracks so that it doesn't get reported because that'll hurt you later on. Um, yeah, it looks good and it's got the same artwork as they had in the cultivate. It looks real familiar. And as a matter of fact, um, as we start talking about the, um, different uh levels you can back this at there's a level where you can actually get a copy of cultivate if you miss that train so let's talk a little bit about that so there's the uh so there's the dollar pledge to get you into the backer kit later on um and you get the exclusive jellyfish sticker which is their logo it's Uh, it's adorable it's yeah uh it's amazing what they'll do with like you know creatures that'll kill you um, so then you get the viewing party, which is retailers only. So we're going to kind of skip that. Um, and that'll get you in like six copies later on. Uh, so it starts really with the casual viewer for a copy of channel one, plus the exclusive jellyfish sticker. Um, it's 25 bucks. Like, I mean, you can't fight that. Like, that's just, that's a good price on a game. Yep. And with what they had in the past, I think this is just an awesome starter. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, for $39, you, you get the rerun of Cultivate. So if you're not sure you want this one, but you've definitely been interested in Cultivate and not been able to get your hands on it because, you know, shipping problems, um, you can actually pledge $39 and get a copy of Cultivate. Let's see. The Loyal Viewer is a $45 pledge. It gets you two copies of the Channel One game and two of the Jellyfish stickers. Or $60. If you don't have Cultivate and you want it and you want to back this, you get a copy of Cultivate and a copy of Channel One. Um, it looks, like I said, it looks really good. I loved playing Cultivate. I've t- played it a few times around the table, brought it to friends' houses, you know, did a game night with people that were not like gamers and everything went really well. Everybody had a blast with it. Yeah, so it looks like there are a lot of really cool stretch goals. Uh, since it just launched, it's still working towards being funded. Right. Um, but if it gets to, like, there's some card upgrade, material upgrades, uh, which I always like to see as stretch goals. Um, there is an uh, inbox tray storage organizer type upgrade, um, upgrading tokens to wooden tokens, all that sort of stuff. Those are the kind of ec- upgrades I like to see that, like, extra extra little things. Um, so hopefully we can get there with this campaign. Um, I know we're definitely backing it. So if it's something that sounds interesting to you, hop on there, take a look at the video, um, see if it's maybe something that you like. Um, if you have cultivate, if you like that art style, it's definitely, like you said, in the same vein, um, but definitely looks exciting. I'm a fan of semi-cooperative games anyway. Um, but this definitely looks like an interesting take on them. Sure. So their only, their goal is only 12 grand on this one and they're halfway there. Um, man, get in there and support these guys. This is a small company. It's a group of friends out of um, North Dakota, and they're just they're putting their passion for what they love, um, you know, into this and making a company out of it. So um, we want to back that. Go check that out on Kickstarter. It's Channel One W O N. All right, the next project that we want to take a look at today is Arcana Core Musical Dice. Uh, so this is one that um, we stumbled across. Um, I actually saw a video elsewhere and then kind of tracked down what it was. Um, these dice are created and, and made to have a specific tone when you roll them, uh, which is really cool when you have multiple ones because they obviously sound different. Um, but this is, you can go on there, uh, specifically, uh, pick up either just a single D 20. You can actually get a full set. You can get some extra large D twenties. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of options here. Um, but they, most of them are made, um, out of brass. Um, and then, like I said, they are tuned to a specific frequency. So every time you roll them, they make this like little light jingle, uh, which is is cool. It's it's one of those things. If you are a dice connoisseur or goblin, depending on <laughs> <laughs> what you want to call yourself, um, this is a great addition to any like nice dice collection. Um, taking a look at pricing and things like that. So uh, just the original price is thirty seven dollars for a D twenty. Uh, that's a standard size brass D20, um, but is in this style. I do like uh, also this style kind of reminds me kind of, of steampunk because it is one all metal, but kind of the way they did the cage design around it um, is kind of what that feels like to me. Um, then you can you can step it up. Uh, you, that is for um, the, the standard size D20. If you go up to $63, you can actually get a 28 millimeter size D20. So a little bit larger size, um, 50% increase actually. And, um, 
but again, same thing um, does the little jingle when you roll it. Uh, if you keep going up, the next pledge that they have is $77, and this is for a gold-plated version. Um, so same same die, but yet gold-plated. Uh, if you go up, the set start at 185 uh, so you actually get a six-piece set of the brass dice. Um, so... Again, as if you look at the price on uh, that was kind of the first thing we looked at. It was a little pricey for them, but these are very unique. I think so. Yeah, um, I, it's not something that I have seen done anywhere else, uh, but it, it's definitely something if you have a very nice collection of dice, um, if you are looking to kind of get something that's more than just your standard kind of resin based or even gemstone based like sets. Um, this is definitely something interesting and will be a conversation piece around the table. Uh, there are a few other tiers past that. Um, they do make an extra large set uh, that you can get for three fifteen, um, or you can of course get the gold plated set as well, and that comes in at three seventy. So take a look at this one. Uh, this is definitely not for everyone for sure, uh, but if you are somebody who doesn't mind throwing a little bit of money at some dice, this is a very nice set. The original gold was four thousand. They're at one hundred and thirty eight thousand right now, so they have already hit their stretch some of their stretch goals too. Um, which is uh, the rose gold plating. If you do get a gold plated one, um, you'll have the option for rose gold plating as well as white gold. Um, there's some different uh, sizes that you'll be able to choose from. And that is the far, as far as I've got for stretch goals. The next stretch goal is 250,000 and it's a uh, pure platinum dice. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, that's gotta, oh, that's gotta be money. Um, yeah, they sound really good when you listen to the video and stuff. Like I almost, it, if I buy a set of these, I'm gonna have to play a cleric somewhere. That's what I feel like, <laughs> or a bard that uses like um, castanets, the, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or handbells. Yeah, there you either, go. Either one. Um, but yeah, so definitely a cool project. Take a look at it. Um, see if maybe it's something that you'd like to back. The last project that we have up from Kickstarter is Cyberpunk 2077. Gangs of Night City, the board game. So this is a board game that is based off of the uh, video game RPG that came out last year, Cyberpunk 2077. Now, it did have a rough start because video game companies are just allowed to screw us whenever they want to and give us half-assed products. Um, (laughs) But the board game is being handled by the guys over at uh, Come On Games. Yeah, so this is their newest project, which... Um, as you all know, we we are avid both enjoyers of Come On Games as well as backers, given our recent trials with Marvel Zombies. But uh, that, needless to say, they are a great gaming company. Kickstarter is their bread and butter. You know you're going to get good stuff with them. Um, it's, it's just one of those companies that when they put out a game on Kickstarter, you can pretty much know what to expect. They've been doing it long enough now, and that... It's, it's pretty much the same thing. So with this game, uh, what it is, so you it is a game uh, that is one to four players. Uh, you take on the role as one of these gangs in Night City. Uh, the different gangs have different um, special abilities and things that go with them, um, and you are trying to gain street cred uh, over the other gangs that you're playing against. Um, there are multiple different things that you do. It's kind of got an area control theme to it. 
Uh, I do love the artwork for it. Um, oh yeah, the, the cyberpunk theme in general, I think, is ha- always has really cool like neon style artwork. Um, it does do um, hold very true to the artwork from the video game. In fact, if you watch the trailer that they put out for it, there's a lot of clips from the game in it, which I thought was really cool. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is that there's only one pledge level for this. Yeah, I noticed that. Which is different from a lot of, uh, one, a lot of Kickstarters, but two, also a lot of come on Kickstarters. Normally you got your base pledge and then you got your, if you want the two foot tall Galactus statue pledge, <laughs> this is the one that you do. Um, but yeah, so it's 110 bucks, which that's pretty on par for the course for come on games. Um, but yeah, it's one pledge level. It gives you all the content is included in the box. Uh, if you go through, you can see uh, one of the things it reminds me of is um, Rising Sun. Yeah, um, because there are certain units you can recruit that are kind of neutral units. Right. The can, yep. And you can recruit them into your gang or to work for your gang. Um, and they have the little bases that pop on for each color. Because the gangs are all, all their pieces are different colors. Um, they have the bases that pop on to identify which gang they are affiliated with. Uh, which I, that immediately what I thought of with that. Um, there are various uh, story cards that you play through um, that have different objectives and things like that. Um, the miniatures, of course, look great because, come on, that's... that's yeah, right? This yep. is what they do. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Um, you can see they've already hit their a lot of their stretch goals, which includes a lot of different characters. It looks like they've only got one left, really, and yes. it's at the two hundred eighty thousand mark. Yep. Um, so they may add more because that's also what they do. Um, so we'll see kind of how that project goes. Um, but it's definitely funded already. Uh, if you are a person who likes miniature games, area control type games, um, or if the cyberpunk theme is something that really appeals to you. Definitely something to take a look at. Uh, this one looks really good. There are a few play videos out there. I know mm-hmm. Quackalope's got one because uh, Quackalope always gets the come on ones. Um, so take a look at them. See what you think about it. See if it's worth the $110. Uh, now, as a little caveat, uh, you get down into the shipping section and they bring up that obviously shipping can change from what they believe to what it actually ends up being as we found out with marvel <laughs> zombies um it still hurts yeah it still hurts but um right now it's saying 50 to 60 bucks for shipping okay which is not not terrible yeah um so that's kind of what what you'd be looking at with that but take a look at the project see if it's something that kind of um is something that you definitely would want to be a part of um, like I said, the board looks absolutely gorgeous. The artwork looks gorgeous. The miniatures are, are excellently sculpted. But I mean, all that is par for the course for them. So um, it's mainly about theme and gameplay, which you can watch some videos on that. See if it's something that you would like and then jump all over that. All right. And with that, um, remind me, do I still roll a D20 to attack? And what's what's the dice I use for damage for a short sword? If you paid attention during the Learn to Play session, you would know. For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim, everyone. Good night. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for the Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at the Dapper Meeple, or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. 
And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table.